0: Chapter 1. Turn there with me. I'll start in verse 1. All right. Philippians 1, verse 1 says Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel you all are partakers of grace with me for god is my witness how i long to i'm sorry for for god's my witness how i long for you all with the affection of christ jesus and this i pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to come before your word this morning and come into fellowship together as the body of Christ and to be able to meet presently together and to enjoy just the presence of one another. God, in that we can enjoy your presence with us God, as you lead us and guide us into all that is true by the power and conviction of your spirit, God, I pray that we would hear your word and be doers of it this morning and take to heart and hold fast the word that's been entrusted to us. May you be our teacher this morning and lead us into what is true. In your name we pray, amen. Y'all may have a seat. So this morning I wanted to... uh, just say thank you to Charlie and for the invitation of the elders as well, just invited me up to speak again and to share what God's been doing in my life and what he's been putting on my heart, and uh, thank you as a church for bearing with me again as I uh, continues to learn and to uh, be able to just to share the message that God has given to me. And, and I was telling someone, I think it was Ryan, Ryan McCall was originally asked to, to preach, and I told him, I said, there is not a better church to to really start with than Bernie Bible Church. You guys are incredibly gracious and just so kind in your encouragement. I appreciate that. And uh, when I was sitting down, I I changed my uh, sermon from about three hours. I moved it down to about 45 minutes so that we can make make lunch. I wanted to start with um, Philippians this morning. Uh, God has been laying particularly the last part of, of our scripture reading on my heart from verses 9 through 11, Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. I want us to start, and it's a, it's a class that I teach at His Hill, but there's a truth in there that has been coming back to my mind in these last couple months, actually, as I've been walking with the Lord. And, and one of the things about the Philippian church we know from scripture, specifically in, in 2 Corinthians, is that they're a good church. They're, they're a church that is a mature church. They're a church that quote-unquote, is doing well. They are are not, you know, like the Corinthians, where there's constant kind of, hey, you're doing this, and then there's this, and not to mention this. There's a lot of actually good and positive results that Paul has been hearing from this church. And so that's why he starts in verse 3 and says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And so he's thankful for this church. He's thankful that they are doing well in the Lord. He specifically says that they are in view of their participation in the gospel. Them actively taking the torch of what Paul sowed into their lives, Christ, that they took not only, they didn't just hear the word of Christ, they didn't just come to believe in the word of Christ, but they were also doers of the word. They've taken up that torch and they have run with it. They are participating in what God's kingdom work is doing here on this earth. And they didn't just say, okay, Paul, just as you, you know, kind of sowed the message for us, we expect you to go out and just do the same and thanks for all that you did for us and we're just going to remain here. You know, they we're just containing what God has given. But they, they were actively channels of God's grace and, and that has been just an incredible blessing For Paul, he says, so with joy in all my remembrance for you, I thank God because you are doers of the word. You have taken up this mantle and you yourselves are not only just walking with him, but you are actively living as ambassadors of Christ. And we know that from just kind of throughout the book, but one of the things he mentions here in... uh, In chapter 1, he says that, you guys have been praying for me. Chapter 1, verse 19, he says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that my imprisonment will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers for me. And that's one of the ways that Paul just is reminded of their participation in the work of the gospel, is because they have been praying on his behalf. Back in verse 5, he says that phrase, participation in the gospel, and I think Sometimes what we mistake about that is it's not just their participation in the good news of Jesus. Right? The good news or the gospel, we say, is the good news of Jesus. It's not just of Jesus, but the gospel is Jesus. right? It is his person. It is his work. It is his promises or his words to us. And so what Paul is really seeing in this church is that he is seeing Christ in the lives of this church. That they have not only just come to believe in him, but as chapter 2 is going to say, that their salvation is at work in their life. They are working out their salvation, or their salvation is being displayed by their attitudes, by their choices, and being doers of the word. He's going to say that as well. He flipped with me just uh, to the back of the book in chapter 14. He says, Their salvation was at work not only by their prayers for him. But also, uh, actually starting in verse 15, he says, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. So Paul sees not only have they been praying for me, not only does he have that that understanding that I am being spiritually uplifted, I am being prayed for and edified by this church, but their their salvation, the work of Jesus is being displayed by their giving to me in my need. And that that recognition, I think, is is so important for people even in leadership that the body is at work, that the body is participating in or by faith in what the Lord is doing in their lives. Um, For Paul, he recognizes that he is not alone. It's not just this burden on him to go and to spread the good news of Christ to all the different churches. It's not just an additional effect. Paul is adding and adding and adding. But it's as he goes and walks in obedience and preaches the message of Christ to this church, then he goes, he leaves, but he entrusts that the work of the Lord in that church is going to multiply that those who have heard the word of Christ will then go and be ambassadors for God's word just as much as Paul is himself. And that takes an incredible weight, I'm sure, off of Paul. And that, I think, is one of the reasons that he is just rejoicing, knowing that this isn't just on him, this isn't just his message, but he is taking this message, and those who are hearing it are now participating in it as well. I've probably recognized this aspect more this year than I ever have, uh, with this summer being my first summer transitioning into the camp director role. And one of the busiest times for me is actually not camp itself, but it is the preparation for camp. It is the staff training weeks. And I'm the kind of person that, you know, with camp, I was a counselor for two years, then I was a program director for two years, and in the last five years, I was the assistant camp director. I loved being a counselor. I loved being where the action was at. I loved being with the kids, you know, in devotions, in the games, at the lunch table. I loved being there, just being present there. But I've transitioned out of that role now. I can't always be present at all the devotions, at all the games, at all the, the times where the counselors are at. And one of the guest speakers uh, sat me down, and we were out for coffee, and he said, you know, your, your life and your role is changing And it's not bad, it's good, but it's going to look different. Where now as you were in the action, now you're training people to basically take your place. And that's good, right? And you get to now share all the experience that you've gleaned. And now God is going to be using this group. He's not going to be using you in that way anymore. He's using you in a more of an administrative way. But you still have a place to train those who are going to be kind of the face of camp And ask our counselors now. And I thought, I don't want to. <laughs> I want to be that face. But I can't imagine doing the things that we do as a, as a camp director, but also having to be you know, discipling all the campers and being all things to each one of those campers, right? That would be an absolute burden that would crush me. But I've actually seen in the last five weeks of camp All that I was able to do in staff training has been such a blessing to then sit back these five weeks and see the counselors take up that torch. Take up what was, you know, sown into them over the course of Bible school or just what the Lord's been doing in staff training and to take that and to run with it and to see them doing well. To see them being faithful and ultimately to see God's faithfulness to them to use them in the ministry that they have. That has truly been a joy. For me this summer. And I see that and just and praise God just for his work. As Paul was praising God for the work of the Philippians, taking up the, the mantle and running with it, praise, worship, and blessing. I see that so much, and experientially, even this summer. And so out of that joy, out of that thankfulness, he prays. And I just think that's such a that's such a conviction to me. Uh, there are so many interactions that I have with people that I love, people who have been a blessing to me, others that have shown Christ to me so faithfully, so mercifully in many ways. And I just so often take that for granted and just say, wow, that was such a gift, or they are such a gift to me, and just continue on in my day. But Paul makes, as as. An apostle, you know, one who is in leadership, one of the, one of the 12 that God has given this, this immense joy to go and, and proclaim the gospel around this world as one of the pillars of the faith. It says he chooses to stop in his writing and says, I'm praying for you. I am praying for you. Right? He didn't really say they have to do that. He's got so many things, I'm sure that's on his mind, so many things that he could be doing, but he chooses to stop and say, I'm praying for you. And it's not just a a tagline that we can sometimes say to people, hey, I'm praying for you, I'll pray for you. But he actually stops and says, no, this specifically is how I'm praying for you. Let me tell you what I'm going to be asking God on behalf of you. And for me, that is such a conviction to, to do with people. One, just to pray for them. I right? just to stop in my conversations with them at the end of it or at the beginning of it and just say, wait, let's, let's pray. Can I pray for you? Can I pray specifically you know, for you? If I don't know that person, what can I pray specifically for you with? And I think just in the course of leadership, that's such a blessing for people to know I'm being prayed for. This person sees me, they care for me, and they care for me in the best ways. They care enough to stop and take their time and bring me to the feet of Jesus. That's really just a a bond of intimacy, of fellowship. A familial bond that exists on the eternal level. And I really began to to take that to heart and be encouraged by that. And so this aspect of leadership that Paul presents here is, is, one, is identifying, hey, I'm praying for you because I'm like you. Yeah, he addresses that at the very beginning. He says, this is a letter to the overseers, so to the elders, and to the deacons, it's to all the saints. I am one of you, a brother in Christ. And so he relates in a way that I'm not better than you, but we have that bond that exists between us in the Spirit. And so he, in through that, prays for them, but also he encourages them to abound still more. And again, this is kind of the second part of that leadership aspect I've seen, especially this summer, but specifically in this letter to Paul. Remember, this is a church that's doing well, and he doesn't just congratulate them, pat them on the back, and say, all right, I'll see you later. But He says, abound still more. And there's an aspect in Christianity in our walk with Christ, a realization that Paul makes as a leader and really the one who, who first sowed the gospel of Christ to them and understanding that when we think that we have arrived, quote-unquote, we open the door and really it's the first step in our fall. When we think that we've just made it, whatever that may be, that I love perfectly now, or I am patient, or man, I can endure anything, is really the first reality. It's the first step in pride entering into our life and brings our downfall. And so as a, as a brother, but also as a leader in the church, it says, do not think that you have made it. We can abound still more together there. And I understand the, the verse in 1 Corinthians to be about life and death But I also think when Paul says, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall, I think that is equally as applicable to our pride and to our walk with Christ. To never be content to say, there's nothing more that I need, (laughs) or there's, there's, there's nothing more I need to grow in. I have arrived there. So this is a prayer, I think at the end of it all, that is a prayer for maturity, to abound to a church who is already mature. It's a prayer for maturity to a church who is already mature to continue to abound. And so maybe this is a message, I believe, for a church who is mature, but that we would abound and mature yet even more. Not because we've done poorly, not because there's something that Charlie said to, to, to mention, but because our standard is not... Our levels, not our brother and sister to the left. It is not what we think is right. Our standard is Christ himself. He is the standard of our holiness. He is the standard of our life. Be holy as I am holy, he says. And so we individually can look into our lives and say, yeah, I can abound still more. There is still this in my life where the Lord can use and continue to grow me in. And that is a mark of maturity. That is that is a market. that kind of understanding is not bad. It is humility. And this is what Paul wants, and this is what God wants for, for our heart. So the specific mention in verse 9 that he makes of how we can abound still more and for this church, he says, This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and in all discernment. So love to abound. I just want to stop with that phrase. Love for whom? Maybe we could say, where, where should this love abound? And I think it's safe to say in general that before we can love each other well, love each other in a, in a manner that is worthy of Christ, that the great commandment needs to be remembered in our own hearts. When he is asked, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So first and foremost, may our love for the Lord, our bridegroom, abound still more and more. But what's interesting about that that verse in, in Matthew 22, verse 37, the original question is, what's the greatest commandment? Singular. And Jesus answers, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. But he adds on to it the next part. He says, and the second is like it. Well, no one asked about the second, but Jesus sees that the second commandment goes hand in hand and you cannot break the two with the first commandment of loving the Lord and his second being this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Those two aspects cannot be separated. You cannot say, I love the Lord and hate your brother. John makes mention of that. You are living in a deception and a lie. But we cannot love each other well if our love is not coming from the author and the perfecter of love itself, and that is God. So these two go hand in hand together. So first, we love the Lord, may our love abound to him more and more. I think of I I love this verse in Jeremiah chapter 9, where he says in verse 23, Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts of this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things. So it is a sweet aroma to, God's, to God as we just love him more in our heart More in our mind, more in our soul, and in our strength. But it is also a sweet aroma to the Lord as we love one another. As we love our neighbors out of the love that He has loved us with. I have to be honest with you. I thought I generally love people pretty well. Um, And recently, in light of the cultural, and especially in very recent uh, racial justice uh, movements that's, that have been happening in, in our country, there was a time where when I was you know, just looking and you know, seeing all these posts through social media and, and hearing the news, you know, all this, just a, a dramatic change, right? So much that is dynamic in our, in our culture today. And I honestly thought to myself, you know, this isn't a problem for me. I, I, think, I think I'm good here. I don't think necessarily that this is an issue. And there wasn't anything that I needed. God wasn't saying dig into my past and find all the issues and all the shortcomings there. But the issue right after I thought that was this. It's not about your past, but it's you thinking that you've arrived. It's you thinking that you don't need to grow in a love and a betterment for a brother and for a neighbor. And yeah, this may not have been, you may not have had a nasty past with this, but you can abound still more in this love. And that started a train of thought with, with that truth that really has been very convicting to me. And it's, it's gone past even more than just um, the racial justice movements that are happening in our, in our, in our nation, in our culture today, but, but just to God's people, right? Just to people in the church, just to the staff that we have at His Hill, I like who we work with. I love these people, but I can love them better. I know I can love them better. I know for this church, I can love you better. I know for my wife, I can love her better. And so God has just brought that to my mind, not to think that I'm okay, because that breeds a stagnant relationship with the Lord. And that is where pride can so easily come in. And pride really is the natural repercussion of thinking, I've arrived, I've made it it is the natural next step and it is pride that leads to our downfall in the body of Christ and so the spiritual mature christian realizes and applies i think what john the baptist said in john chapter 3 verse 30 he must increase but i must decrease and that was said by a man who jesus said this is the greatest man that's ever lived like, what a title what a gift Jesus recognizing that, and if there's any person to say, I've arrived, it maybe would have been John the Baptist. And even John the Baptist had the maturity and the humility to say, I must decrease so that he may be seen greater in my life, that he may abound and his image be displayed greater in my life. This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. The word abound is the word that uses this image of a flower going from bud to blossom. And when a flower goes from bud to blossom, it releases the fragrance of the flower. It opens itself up, right, and the bees come and they uh, uh, pollinate, right, and they're attracted to that because of the aroma that is being given. He says, so may our love just continue to bloom. May our love for the Lord and may our love for each other continue to go from bud to bloom and and release the sweet aroma of Christ into this world for others to see and for us to understand what is right and what is good and what is excellent. And so he says, abound more and more. And he gives two kind of qualifications. How are we to abound? He says, in real knowledge, in the second part, in all discernment. And real knowledge, I think I've, when I first read that, what is real knowledge? Well, it kind of implies that there is a not real knowledge, right? If, if Paul chooses to use that word real. So there's a knowledge that can be superficial. There's a knowledge that can really just scratch the surface and really not bring home to the truth of of really the love that God wants to display in us. Maybe real knowledge can be translated as wisdom, right? Knowledge applied. And that's really what I see. It's, I think it's loving others in real knowledge is a full participation of love for one another. It's what he says in verse 5. It's not just a catchphrase. It's not just an end the phone call, love you, click. But it's, I love you, and how can I serve you? It's a love you, and how can I be a blessing to you? I love you, how can I pray for you even there? It's a participation, it's a walking alongside, it's a bearing each other's burdens. It's the reality that we are a part of a body that is there. And the understanding that we are just a living sacrifice for the love of God to be displayed through. Love that abounds in real knowledge understands that loving each other never finds a limit. It never finds an end. I remember I was dating Jewel. It was probably about a year into our relationship together. And I had a terrible false expectation that if I just put a bunch of work and a lot of creativity into our dates that she's going to fall madly in love with me and then I'm going to ask the question of will you marry me? Of course she will say yes and once we get married, all the work is done. (laughs) I have (laughs) finished the race. I have captured the woman where we are married and all that hard work now can, can be just the fruit of it can be enjoyed by just hanging out and now we're married and all that creativity can be put aside there. And you laugh because you realize how foolish I was. You see how maybe I still foolish I still can be even when it comes to that. I saw very clearly in our first year of marriage through my relationship with her just because we are married does not mean that that creativity and that pursuit of love stops. If anything it should grow more in creativity. As I get to know her more, then I'm, my desire is to be for her more. It is to not just stop because the ring is on her finger, but that our love may abound, and I could display that love to her by showing that I think about her, that I see her, that I hear what she enjoys and what she likes, and I want to plan things that will be a blessing to her. Just as our marriage, our love and marriage does, should not ever just grow stagnant, should not ever just stop. We should never say, I've been married 25 years. We've made it. 50 years, we've made it. Know that it is to abound. It is to grow still more and more in real understanding that I love this person. This person loves me, and there's not a greater love that I could be experiencing. One of our guest speakers has just a great phrase that I've just taken with me. And it says, may we never graduate from our need of Jesus. May we never graduate from our absolute need of Jesus. And may we never graduate from thinking that I have loved God and I've arrived. I have the degree. Or I've loved others well and I am done. No, we will not master it. We must let his love master us. Now, the second qualification there is all discernment. So he moves that we may love more and more, our love may abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. And so this is a love that is not governed by feeling. It is governed by the truth of who God is. It is governed that God is love. And if God has so loved us while we are enemies of God, that we, should, that we too should love one another. And so this is a love that is a volitional choice, and that's what makes it so hard. You know, in all discernment, it is choosing to believe what is right, what is true, and what God says about each other, rather than what the eyes of our flesh, what our minds may be seeing. It is choosing, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, to believe the best in one another. And we need discernment, right? This is where maturity comes in. Maturity has the ability to discern what is my emotions, but also what is the leading of God in my life. To speak, to act, the timing of it for that particular person. It's the volitional choice that we choose to sacrifice ourselves at the altar so that God may be expressed in us. Discerning love is a love that sees the value in what we choose to love. It is seeing something that is worthy of our affection, seeing someone that is worthy of our time and worthy of this value. I remember when I was in probably second or third grade, the thing that dominated my attention, dominated my love, was Pokemon, specifically Pokemon cards. And I just remember thinking, as one drive, I was going with my dad, and I was just telling him how much, you know, I just loved Pokemon. And I remember him saying, I remember saying to him, I said, like, man, I wish, you know, I hope when I die that in heaven all the Pokemon cards will be there, and finally I will have arrived and, you know, have a complete collection. And he says, when you get to heaven, that won't even be a thought on your mind. I remember thinking to myself, what? <laughs> How could it not be a thought, right? I love this so much. But his his observation there was, that will be such a small and minuscule part of the greater glory that is going to be in heaven. You won't even think about it. And this is where our maturity as Christians come into play, that we are able to see what is worthy of our love, what is worthy of our time, what is worthy of our attention, in light of eternity, in light of who God is. And so Paul says to this church, he says that they, they, their love will abound in all discernment so that you may approve, or translation, to discover the things that are excellent. We need to abound in all discernment, love, you know, a discerning love, so that we may approve or we may discover the things in this world that are truly worthy of our time. The things that are excellent. Not just the things that are good, not just things that are fun, the things that are excellent in light of eternity there. And there's only two things that are eternal. God himself and our relationship toward him. Either that which is in faith or that which is not. Spiritual maturity comes through discernment but really that kind of discernment and this kind of love and real knowledge, the only avenues are through submission and obedience to Christ. This isn't natural for our flesh, to choose to put someone else before us. you know, And this is why he's going to say this in chapter 2 to a good church. He's going to say in verse 3 there, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Why does he have to say that? Because, again, it is natural in the human heart to put ourselves before one another, to put our own needs before one another. And so submission and obedience to Christ is the only way that we are able to love God and love each other with real knowledge and with discernment to approve the things that are good, excellent, and eternal. This doesn't just happen, right? But it is a process of maturation as we submit and obey the Lord. And this is why Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, not my will but yours be done. It is a choice that he had to make. Not my will, but yours be done. This is why Paul will say in Galatians, yet it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. He goes on to say, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And so as we are living in submission and obedience to God, and God is displaying the work of of his love through us as we choose to obey him, as we choose to walk in him by faith, as we choose to believe his commandments to love him and to love one another, he says this is on display that your heart has been changed. What is on display is the reality that God has taken a natural, selfish person and has changed him into a person that puts one another's needs before his own. That is a great testimony in this world. And one that this world needs to see. That God has the ability, not only just to change our hearts to put one another before ourselves, but that God has the ability to take two people who naturally may have so many differences and bring us together and that we may share the bond of Christ together. One of the things I love about camp, one of the things I love about Bible school is the blending of our student bodies or blending of our staff. And you just see over the course of time, when Christ is the center, take two, three people who are naturally so different, so maybe opposite, and he brings them together. And there's nothing natural about that that would, that would draw them together, but it is their love and it is their ambition to know Jesus that draws them together. And you see these awesome friendships that are made for eternity. I know I've mentioned this before, it was a couple years ago, but you know, Todd and myself, we went to Bible school together back in 2009, and him and I naturally don't like the same things. You know, he's incredibly gifted at music. I can't play and strum a guitar without it just sounding absolutely terrible, right? He mocks sports openly, <laughs> right? And I love sports. And so naturally, we, we just didn't we, we have nothing in common necessarily, but Todd has remained one of my most faithful friends for over 10 years because of the bond of Christ that is there. Right? And so that has been on display from the beginning there. And when we choose to submit ourselves to the Lord, he is the one who is able to bring this witness about. And this is what we pray, he's praying for this church that until the very end till they see Christ that this would be true because this brings him glory. Hearts that have chosen to surrender to him in sincerity, in purity, blameless there is nothing that could drag them down, because the love of God has been poured out into their hearts, and Christ to be exalted now, and as they see Him in heaven. And so Paul's prayer for this church is that from the very start they would, that their love would that their love would withstand the test, the test of time, the test of pride, the test of selfishness, that they would stand at the day of Christ, being built, and really being manifested. To the love of Christ. And his prayer ends here in, in verse 11. He says, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Again, that fruit of righteousness, having been filled, the fruit of righteousness, the same idea of abounding from bud to blossom that's being manifested there. And it also carries the same idea from John 15, 5. Which Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I him in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And one writer says of this verse, You know, the fruit tree doesn't make a great deal of noise when it produces a crop. It merely allows the life within to work in a natural way, and fruit is the result. It's not by trying harder and please don't hear me say when when we must abound that we need to do more and more. That's, That's not the point I'm trying to get across, but really rather what I'm saying is cease striving in your flesh and know that God is God and choose to let God be God in your life so that the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and perfecter of love itself, May be displayed in you. This is a supernatural love that has no comparison and it only comes through God. This is a supernatural love that truly displays the righteousness and the grace of God Himself. It is a supernatural love when we choose to apply it into our lives, when we choose to believe this promise and to walk in obedience to them. It brings God gladness, it brings God joy, it brings God praise, and it brings about a sweet aroma of him to a dark and a lost place that needs to know the love of God and needs to see it. I want to end with a, a verse from a book, two books over, First Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, in verse 11, <clears throat> says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you, and may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you, so that. He may establish your hearts without blame in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And that is my prayer for us. That's my prayer for myself, even. That we would abound more and more in our love for the Lord Jesus, who loves us so with such a great love, and that therefore we would abound in our love for each other and put on display to this world an incredible, supernatural love that can be known in their own life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the only one who is able, God, to produce a love like this, a love that is able to abound in real knowledge, that is to be applied as your spirit brings conviction into our hearts God, as your spirit leads us to speak with people in the right timing to speak with people, the right words to say with these people or the right actions to take that is truly going to manifest your love to them. And God, I pray that we would each come before you humble, humble in our heart to say, God, may I increase, may I abound still more and more in my love for you. Show me where I can increase. Show me where I I have taken to myself, where I have pridefully thought that I've arrived. God, search me and know me, that you may lead me in the everlasting way. God, that we would abound in our love for you and that we would abound in our love for one another. Seeing and discovering the excellent things that you have in our fellowship together, but also seeing the excellencies of your grace seeing the excellencies of your power at work in us, and that we would think of each other with joy, with thankfulness, praying for one another, submitting each of our needs into your name. Amen.